0: So welcome back to the ASIAL podcast. I am joined here today with uh, Peter Johnson of ASIAL in the Compliance Department and Tim Sell who's uh, with, well Tim what are you doing these days? Explain to us what's uh, going on.
1: Yeah, still director of uh, International Security Training Academy but uh, set up a new company now called uh, Aggression Management Solutions so aggressionhelp.com.au is a new product that uh, we're putting out there to help the community with domestic violence and uh, workplace bullying and so on. So, yeah, Excellent. Interesting new stuff.
0: And uh, and we also have with us online is uh, David Detman, formerly of the Licensing Services Division of Victorian Police. David, how are you?
2: Very well, thank you, John.
0: Excellent. So, Peter, Tim, David. Obviously, it was reported in the phone in the uh, Age yesterday, and a number of other different places that there have been uh, quite a number of license suspensions here in Victoria, all around um, fraudulent or things like fraudulent character references, um, and then there's some issues supposedly around the use of student visas applying for uh, security licences and whatnot, which is a thing that's somewhat unique to Victoria. So I guess the first question becomes, you know, why? Why are we seeing so many things be, or so many people having their licences suspended in Victoria, and understand that there's not a lot of information publicly about this yet, so a lot of this is gonna be speculation. But is Victoria doing something different, Peter, or something wrong that the other states aren't doing? Why are we seeing this happen?
3: I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I think it's a matter of what is happening and either by opportunistic situations exist that people want a job and they're seeing as an avenue of opportunity Uh, to apply for a security licence in Victoria. There's a process. Uh, you indicated Victoria's got a slightly different system. Victoria can allow students and even holiday uh, people that to apply for a security licence. That's not necessarily what the security industry supports and agile does not support that nationally and that does create difficulties in checking someone's probity and also for that person to meet the requirements of having reference checks and this is what the base of the problem may be and we're not quite sure as you indicated but it's a problem that exists that the regulator undoubtedly has seen a problem a fraudulent conduct and are dealing with it in a investigative manner from a policing point of view and it's got generally speaking nothing to do with the security industry broadly it's a process of people looking for work and the regulator managing that process so victoria's got a slightly different process but uh we're not we don't we're not sure of the details yet and we're just waiting for those
0: okay dave tim's obviously going to have an opinion on this so i'll bring him in, in a minute before but before we do you you've worked for many 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 years in the licensing services side of things and when i was talking to someone from new south wales yesterday in their licensing division they sort of said look the whole student visa holiday visa thing's a bit of a, a no-brainer for them obviously there's an angle that we're missing here though why in your opinion has it been deemed appropriate in Victoria to accept those kinds of applications? If you can answer that question,
2: oh, I think that um, you know, with appropriate controls, uh, international students can be licensed. But it, it's you could ought to apply those controls. So the two things you know, that stand out to me. I'm trying to recall all of this, but uh, you know, one thing is the training, um, I'm sure the issue of training will come up. So. Um, We work very closely with training providers and um, uh, to ensure the quality of the training, um, what that is today, other people can comment on. And the other is um, this issue around um, references. Um, And I do actually uh, forget exactly what we did with references, but I know um, working with um, uh, the people around me, we had a fairly tight control. Um, on references and just on this particular incident it, it, while there seems to be a number of people or you know, a large number of people involved it, uh, it might also tie back to a um, single um, person or you know, a single person who's actually providing the fraudulent documents. So I think it's probably a very good investigation by the by the police uh, at the moment to actually
0: catch that person. Yeah, well, Tim, this is something that you touched on when we started the conversation before we were rolling, but you mentioned from a a reference point of view, that's always struck you as being a little bit odd, because the way I understand the reference structure here in Victoria to work is that you have to go to someone who has to be deemed suitable to provide a reference, and that might be a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, whatever it may be. Give us a, give us your insight into that. You deal with this every day being in the training side of things.
1: Yeah, so uh, with International Security Training Academy, obviously we've trained about 200,000 students, not only here but around the world. Uh, we find that with Victoria has the highest standards, I believe, in the world when it comes to licensing and probity. And that's got a lot to do with the way Steve Frost originally set it up. And David, you had a lot to do with that, with Miles uh, setting those standards in the earlier days. And I don't know of any other country or city, state in the, in the world that has the standards that we have here in Victoria. Um, some of the issues that we have with this, uh, I guess, character references, where we're requiring a person to go to their doctor, who they may see once a year, or a, a teacher and ask them to put their profession on the line to say that they are a person who's capable of carrying out their duties honestly fairly and efficiently and put their, nom- uh, their, their signature on a document to state that and it's, it's quite an, a difficult task or ask for anyone to do that. Um, I had a, one fellow who was born and bred in Australia, he was a farmer, he was 65 years of age, he did a security course with us, lovely man, uh, we spent obviously uh, four, four weeks with him and uh, he, he didn't have anyone that met that criteria who could give him a character reference. And I think that went on for nine months To and eventually he, he gave up and didn't get into the security industry. So I think there needs to be a more practical approach to their suitability. Uh, the Security trainers are with these people for two, three to four weeks. They know whether they're punctual, they know whether they're, they're telling the truth. They do put them through role plays and scenarios and examination conditions. So maybe there should be a little, a little bit more emphasis on the trainers or the assessors.
0: Yeah, but having said that, I mean, look, anyone who runs their own organisation knows or anyone who's been in management knows. You bring people into an organisation on a probationary basis. So they have to work for you for three to six months before they can be made full time. And I couldn't, I've had hundreds of instances over the years working at our former organisation, Australian Media Group, and now here, where we have people coming in. And for three months, you'd think they're the best thing in the world. And then, Mm. you know, you give them a full-time job and they turn into complete shits. Mm. I mean, people can pretend. There's got to be, there's a reason for the, the character side of things. But what strikes me as being unusual is... People who are on student and holiday visas and character references, long-term character references, seem mutually exclusive. How can I, if I'm only here on a holiday or as a student for a short term, how am I meant to find someone who knows my character?
1: Mm.
0: Well, that's right. It's an impossible task, really. I think that's the difficult part. Look, students and holiday people, they create
3: a different problem. And if they're the bulk of the people on this particular situ- scenario that's uh, that has been uh, come to light, that's one problem. We've also got our visa holders that are legitimate people coming to Australia and they may also suffer from that same area of getting that reference. But really the the important aspect is is the probity and the ability for the regulator to be able to confirm the integrity of the person's background. And If that means it's by some means of a reference check, I don't know whether that is actually the most important thing of having someone write a good letter for you. I think the more important thing is the individual has had an appropriate probity conducted on them to enable them to enter the industry having gone through the appropriate training and then get the licence. A bit of paper saying someone's a good person is not necessarily a strong position to take for a person to actually move into an industry sector. So I think there's opportunities there for that to be reviewed. Um, other, Other jurisdictions don't place as much emphasis on that, but every jurisdiction in Australia now places emphasis on probity, and we have some jurisdictions, like Victoria, that place greater evidence also on criminal intelligence. And the industry encourages the regulator to do that, and that's what the regulator's role is to enable that probity to take place and the criminal intelligence to be used on a person's suitability to enter the industry. We want people to enter the industry. Yeah,
0: Dave, I'll bring you in here because, look, it's easy for people like me to leap up and down and say, oh, LRD should be doing a better job or, you know, this, that, the other. But, you know, I imagine these things cost money, they take people and they take time. And you raised an interesting point earlier when I was talking to you about this. I said, you know it's easy to say, "Oh well, licensing services should have been doing a bloody better job of checking references, and your response was, "Go ahead." well I think
2: you know there are there are big issues here, and it simply isn't um, simple at all. You need to take into account multiple things and if you just take that whole thing around. Um, probity, uh, you know, it's a, it's a problem for legislators everywhere. And you have the difference between, you know, you know the subtlety of the words that you use. So, you know, I've known some acts, um, you, they talk about a person being of good character, and in other acts, they'll talk about a person not being of bad character, and when I started um, and even as a concerned citizen so I think you know the knowledge I've got now is you know would be just as a concerned citizen also I thought there was no difference between those um, those two um, sentences but in fact there's a mammoth difference um, and picked up by legislation so uh, by courts I should say so you know that whole, I, I agree with property I think it's um, one of those things that uh, we you know, the community expects any licensing area, or regulation, regulatory area, to put a, a lot of effort into. But what do you do? I mean, Tim mentioned, and you know, Tim mentioned the idea of um, of trainers being able to sign off on people. And knowing Tim, um, you know, if Tim said someone was of good character, um, I would generally accept that. But not all trainers uh, are like Tim, or some of those, you know, the top. Half dozen uh, trainers in Victoria going to, going to the public record, so you, you're caught there. And you're right about um, about costs. I mean, the regulators, again, even as a concerned citizen, um, the regulators work within the uh, legislative and financial constraints. Um, and you know, I've had lots of interesting discussions um, around that in in my career. But you know, I could be assured that the the regulatory division, as it's set up now, is looking at the legislation that they've got to um, to work with, and the funds that they've been provided, and by um, by the government um, through the heads of um, Victoria Police, and the resources that they've been particularly provided by Victoria Police. So, you know, there'd be little doubt that they do the best that they can. I think then, yeah, you know, my final thing around that is. This sort of debate is really important because, at the end of the day, it comes down to what the community wants um, and how much they're prepared to spend. So, if you, want, you see a problem like this, and if it turns out to be, you know, something more than one bad egg giving a whole lot of um, false um, documents, um, you know, then you know the, the community of Victoria needs to think: you know, what what sort of pressure do they want to put on government to? Um, to change the way that the Act works, and finally, yeah, the security industry is um, has a lot of um, how to put this subtly. Uh, it employs, it, it doesn't pay much for uh, the people that um, are employed. Um, you know, so it's driven by a market, um, and um, yeah. yeah both uh, other people here are going to you know, make similar comments. I mean, the market is constantly driving um, the price down. And there's only a few, you know, like in my recollection, there was only a few operators who could afford to go against that market, who could um, put a premium price on the, on the product they provide because they had some good customers. And many of the other customers don't like the idea of having to, um, have to employ a security agent uh, you know, crowd control, controller don't like the idea. I think it's um, no doesn't offer any value, and they want to. They don't care. They just want to provide um, or pay the least amount of money that they can. So, you know, a lot of competing factors in the. Yeah, I think.
0: and I I think you've raised a couple of really important points there. The first being that it's you can't take complex situ- situations and try and reduce them to a single issue because that just doesn't work. And secondly, I think the really important thing that you touched on before is that before we all go sort of running around screaming that the sky is falling, we need to know whether or not this is, is the system broken? Is it a case of there are 300 fraudulent references out there, or is it a case of there's one guy who's given out an absolute boatload of fraudulent references, in which case the system isn't broken, there's just a crooked source out there?
2: Maybe the comment there is that uh, the system actually works, that this, mm. this happened and um, that person has been um, uh, caught, you know, hopefully in a relatively short period of time.
0: Yeah, and that was, the, that was the point that I was alluding to before when we were sort of having a conversation about this earlier, that you had said, when I'd sort of leapt up and down and said, oh, the system's crap and it doesn't work, and you went, oh, no, well, hang on a second, it does, because they found out and they caught them, and I thought that was a valid point. Uh, Tim, sorry, you were going to say?
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I think uh, there needs to be a pressure valve release in this process. Uh, I remember many uh, students uh, come back to me uh, after they've applied for a license and they had to go before uh, Miles King, and uh, Miles would sit them down and uh, take them through a, a bit of an integ- integrity test, if you like. And uh, th- that process where the if there was an opportunity where people can't get these character references for whatever reason, there was some form of uh, evidence-based interview uh, integrity test that LRD could do for the candidate to give them some form of satisfaction that they are a, per- a person capable of uh, carrying their duties honestly fairly and efficiently. If there was some type of other avenue that they could go to which would uh, they could use as a mechanism... To prove they are a good character, uh, maybe a, 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 something for uh, things for the future to have a, a, as an extra option.
2: Um, Can I like, just add to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Tim, on your example of that farmer, um, again, need to be, um, well, just, it, it, I would be, if there was nothing else involved in that situation. Um, I'm sure there would have been a path bound for that uh, farmer to um, uh, to get a licence. Um, in you know when you know well right from the start up from the start when uh, Steve started it right through to yeah uh, you know, when Miles and I finished there, there would have been a process. We and we did that in you know a number of areas that we controlled without a, a practical approach. I think the other thing here is um, and again this is just as a citizen I, I think. Um, Government um, probably has a big interest in um, what um, overseas students can do um, you know and and we mightn't like it um, you know if I was talking from a security industry point of view we mightn't like it but uh, those overseas students bring in an enormous amount of money into um, uh, the Australian society and and, and in particular Victoria. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of politicians, a lot of people are interested in them being able to, um, uh, be, to gain some type of employment while they're here. But it comes back to that, um, you know, the level of controls that you put in place. And uh, going back to this example, well, it, it, again, taking it on Facebook from what I've just read in the, um, in the age article and uh, watching the news, um, you know if this is sim- you know a simple um, uh, failure of someone providing a false reference, um, but you know these students passed all of the um, you know got all the appropriate training documentation. Well, you know it's I think it's further evidence that the system is working, um, both that. You know, they're, they're, they should be suitably skilled and the only thing that was missing was um, the falsification of And a false document, while you know these students, these people are, you know, not, you know, I can't see them getting a license for a while, given mm-hmm. that they commit an offence. But um, you know, there's nothing to say that they are of bad character, I and mean, there's nothing in referencing the material in front of me that says, you know, we you know these people. Um, produced a false document and they're of terribly bad character. That just, you know, they produced a false document because they perceived they had no other way to proceed. Um, to get a
0: license. Yeah, and, although um, there's there's two sides to that, I guess. It could be argued that by producing a false document, they've demonstrated a flaw in their character when they knew that they shouldn't have done so. But that's a that's a very simplistic and easy argument yeah, to make. Naivety,
2: you know? I would have thought more yeah. than uh, yeah. okay. But i uh, take your point. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and look, I guess it, it brings about a couple of interesting questions here because, okay, from a security point of view, and I'll, I'll get you to answer this in a second, Peter, but from a security point of view, I personally, as a commentator in the industry and as a long-time participant in the industry, I am not a big fan of offering overseas students and holiday visa holders um, the ability to work in the industry purely from a security point of view um, because it is very difficult to do things like politically motivated violence checks and understand affiliations and all the rest of it on people who are short-term temporary residents here of Australia. But if I am to play devil's advocate, I also hark back to what Dennis was talking about a few minutes ago about this industry does not exactly offer you know, incredible remuneration and working conditions for its employees. And so therefore, as if I was to put on the hat of a security company owner, the first thing I'm going to say is, OK, well, if not them, then who? Because I have a bugger of a time finding staff who are willing to work for these wages and conditions. So we can't kind of have it both ways, Peter. I mean, how does, what, what's the solution to this? And I don't expect you to actually be able to answer that, but what's ASIL's point of view?
3: Well, ASIL has a position that we do not support the student visa or the holiday person able to get a security licence. So, but we do support other persons that have legitimate right to work in Australia, to apply for a licence. And I think that's very important. But the other area in relation to what David indicated is that I do believe that the system probably worked and have identified a failure. And this failure has got nothing necessarily to do with any security organisation. It may be just a combination of many people see an opportunity to achieve this reference that they're required to provide. If it's fraudulent, deal with it. If it's a mistake, if it's, uh, as uh, David indicated, persons being naive, let's deal with it in that capacity as well but we don't support the student or the holiday person in the security industry as you said there's concerns in relation to security but on the other hand we've got a security officer that was required to go through significant probity significant training no problems at all and they're going to work in clients premises where they've got an an avenue of opportunity Uh, but we also have the other side of the coin where we have so many other industry sectors that have, we take the computer industry where you can have a computer technician enter a client's premises, have intimate access to the client's systems and there's no probity on that. So we've got to get that balance and I think David made the comment of getting that balance and there's got to be a common sense approach and I think from an industry point of view once we see the end of this inquiry that LID are making and what is the root cause of it, there's opportunity because the Victorian Government have announced a review of the Private Security Act. Mm. They announced that in the previous election and they've now just funded in the Victorian budget $800,000 to commence that review. And we look that therefore that will start this year. So therefore, we have an opportunity as an industry and as a regulatory body to get together and to actually clean up these anomalies, make it better. And I think that's where we need to focus our attention is to ensure that we actually move with the regulator and the government to overcome these inadequacies. But be very mindful that What we do in one jurisdiction, we would like so much to see more harmonisation. And I think that's where we can get the opportunity of any change we make. Make sure it's not a knee-jerk reaction. Make sure it's for the benefit of everyone and the industry and the regulator and the safety of the public as well.
0: And I think that's the underlying issue here that it all comes back down to is that sort of national licensing model. And, you know, because if we had a consistent approach across the country, then you're not going to have New South Wales on one hand saying, well, that's dumb, we don't do that. And then you've got Victoria on the other hand saying, well, yeah, we do. And you should. And then you've got Western Australia saying something else entirely. I mean, yeah, the the, the mutual transportation of licensing or national licensing is a an interesting topic. And, and Dave, I don't know, or David, I don't know if you want to sort of weigh in on this, because um, you've been out of it for a little while now, but what are your thoughts on national licensing
2: oh, no, you, it, so far as a regulatory point of view I, um, I you know i'm simply not up to date but oh, I think it's um, very important um I think in you know, australia you know, we're not we we're, we're not big enough to be able to um to you know, have a situation where we don't recognise one licence from um, one jurisdiction to another. But I agree with the point that we've actually got to um, harmonise it, and um, I think there needs to be some strength there. Um, uh, you know, it's hard when you go to a, um, a meeting of, um, uh, of your um, partners in other states. Um, you know, if if you're only in, you know uh, in a mid level, you've got to have High-level support, you know, um, uh, the will from politicians to actually um, drive national standards. I right? guess just looking at the whole government thing, that you know, that that is difficult. But um, yeah, you should work on it. Yes, yeah, so I think um, just just the nature of the security industry—you've only got to have one big event in one jurisdiction, you know, where people are um, chasing. Um, license holders and um, you can eat up all your your state licensed um, people overnight where do you get them from and if you don't have some transportability you know, quality of licenses and, and transportability um, yeah, then you just force people into doing something wrong. Um, yeah. So oh, yeah, I think national um, national license, not not national licensing, but transportability is extremely yeah. important. Even if, yeah, I mean you mentioned at one stage about two types of licences, um, etc. Even if it was something like that, where you had uh, some sort of two tier system, where you know, tier two people were, um, or whichever tier, but yeah, you know, some people were qualified to move um, uh, interstate. So the more
0: highly skilled
2: uh, people and um, the less skilled people weren't, um, you know, maybe something like that. But I think it's extremely
0: important. Yeah. Well, before you jump in, Peter, I'm just going to bring Tim in here because, Tim, you've seen this firsthand. You've... You've been involved in things like the Com Games in Victoria, the Com Games in Queensland, um, the Olympic Games in Melbourne during 2000, and you've seen this huge sort of surge requirement or surge capability for security in action and been involved in trying to train cross border forces of security. And the whole thing's just basically a giant pain in the backside. I mean, talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, well, in both of those occasions for the Com Games,
0: uh,
1: Queensland and also in Victoria, it was a logistic nightmare. Um, trying to train, I think we had to train 1,700 people in six months, which was an impossible task. We did achieve that objective, but uh, it was an, it was extremely difficult. Uh, with the last com games in Queensland, uh, they needed people from all over Australia. We were part of the recruitment process for that uh, recruitment drive, but the because of the different standards of licensing and the requirements for the com games, it, it was logistically nightmare to try and achieve all of that so if we had something like a federal license uh, where if to be qualified for a federal security license you had to do all of the legislation for example powers of re- arrest use of force and so on uh, for all states and territories then that may give some form of competency or credibility to, the, to an officer who wants to apply for that type of license and that, that person can then be part of a pool especially we've got national companies that uh, you know require people to Cross borders for major events. Uh, Adelaide's a classic example uh, when they've got major events over there with the racing and so on. Uh, so uh, another thing I want to mention as well, if you live in Mildura, you may need a license for South Australia, yeah. Victoria, and, and uh, New South Wales uh, for firearms and uh, security. So that's costing them, you know, three or four thousand uh, dollars to renew their licenses and requalify every 12 months for firearms. So. You know, it, it's practically, it's an absolute nightmare. And the, the effect of all of this uh, is that it affects public safety.
0: Yeah. Well, the Gold Coast in Queensland's exactly the same. I mean, the Gold Coast is only a stone's throw from the New South Wales border. So if you live on the Gold Coast in Queensland, it could be any given day of the week as to whether or not you're working in New South Wales or whether or not you're working in Queensland. Mm. Although, on this point, I have to put my hand up and confess that I'm a dill, because... For years, I've been leaping up and down saying, oh, the reason they don't want to have national licence is because none of the states are prepared to give up their revenue. And then Cameron Smith from New South Wales pulled me up on that yesterday and he went, are you kidding? We lose money every yeah. year. We don't make money out of licensing. We lose money. I mean, you know, states would, according to him, be more than happy to be rid of the financial impost at a state level of running licensing. And I guess that's something that you sort of look at a fair bit, Peter.
3: Yeah, I'm not quite sure whether Cameron's losing money, uh, just maybe the size of their organisation has got significant costs associated with it. Well, well yeah, licensing, I mean, yeah. Because li- licensing does create a lot of revenue. But I agree that uh, it creates an impost. And what Tim has said, it's uh, on border, particularly those border areas and national organisations. But naturally, we have the Australian Constitution that does not give the federal government the right to have national security licensing, for working in each individual jurisdiction. Each state would be required to pass those rights over to a federal government. It's happened in other areas and there's no dramas, but it's the willingness to do it. But we could still have jurisdictional licensing, like we have in a motor car, but with security, regulators and organisations want to know who is going to work in security in their jurisdiction. So therefore we could have a system of notification of who's going to be or who wants to work in those areas. So there is possibility to actually make it easier. At the moment it is just extremely difficult. The, the Queensland Commonwealth Games, that was actually probably the best that we've seen and from an industry point of view we actually were uh, contracted by the uh, Goldock to provide online training for every security officer. Out of the whole process there was five formal complaints in relation to uh, payments of people and uh, so that was probably the best although still very demanding and took 18 months, two years of planning to get it to that stage because it's a logistics nightmare. But going back to the area of national licensing, harmonisation, we just need some more, we we need more cooperation from the regulators. And as Dave said, the regulators that mid-tier, they need the will and want of a government to achieve an outcome. And I think with crowded places, national strategies that have come out, that's probably developed more discussion in relation to move moving of people, portability of skill sets across boundaries. That's recognised that there's commonality in relation to the threats that we all experience and I think that's probably brought more people together in a discussion. Still hasn't given us any answer on licensing and still naturally doesn't give us any answer on the variations that occur, going back to the problem of People providing fraudulent documents to get a license, yeah, the other comment in relation to availability of people, we know our security industry is a low paying area, and the problem being is that we always have people that want to actually drive the dollar down, and that's not only people that work within the security industry and some of the the um, backyarders as sometimes they're described, it's the clients. And some of those clients are actually government departments. Some of those clients are actually organisations that their procurement people try to drive their dollar down to a degree that they're nearly forcing people to breach legislation in relation to award payment. But these organisations themselves are committing an offence under a breach of 550 of the Fair Work Act, that those organisations are forcing it. We are now going to have further impact uh, in Victoria in relation to the labour hire legislation. Every security firm providing a body into a client's premises is also going to be required to be licensed under labour hire. On one hand, they could have a security license to provide people, but then labour hire will refuse them because of uh, of not having a good character. So it's gonna be a complex area. Then on top of that, we've also got the additional area of as of uh, 1st of July, organisations, there's portable long service leave in Victoria. So that's another impact and impost upon organisations that they're going to have to, where we don't normally provide necessarily for long service leave until a period of time, and legally I think that up, even up to seven years. But now, uh, from day one, we're going to have to provide casual, part-time and permanence. 1.8% of their ordinary pay every quarter be paid to the Portable Long Service Leave Authority. We have no problems with the actual reason because people do move from organisation to organisation and they lose their long service leave entitlements and we think that's a good thing, but it's another impact upon and regulation upon workers and organisations within the security industry. It's a, And then at the end of it, it's not a high paying industry. Yep. So it's a combination of many factors that are creating these these um, opportunistic people and, as we see, maybe an opportunistic person that is charging people for fraudulent documentation to get a licence to work in this industry.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, for anyone yeah. – I, I was just going to say before we go on, Dave, uh, for anyone who's interested, there is another podcast that I, A's you'll have done too, actually, um, which if you go check out the website iTunes or Spotify, you'll see there's a couple of podcasts there or will be soon – on procurement which talk all around this whole issue of you know people driving down pricing and the fact that the government can be the worst culprit and all the rest of it but dave i know we're going to lose you soon because you've got something else to go on to but i wanted to ask you while we've got you you're probably closest to the mutual transportation of licensing and the national licensing uh, argument having worked with within lrd for years here in victoria i know you've been out of it for a while but during your time there was there any particular reason that stuck out to you, or struck you as this is why we can't do this?
2: The the um
0: the national natural, yeah national licensing or trans- portability
2: uh, not not that I can not that I can recall um no I think it was oh you know, I think jurisdictions um you know protect their own you know, protect their own uh, a fair bit and uh, I think some um. You know, it, it, I come back to that point I made. I mean, you, you need strength. You, the, you mean the government, that's, well, um, Chogum, Ch- not Chogum, um COAG. COAG. Yeah. yeah, as I recall, boarding the thing about, you know, we will head towards uh portability of occupational licenses. And, you know, and that's a great statement, Uh you know, great policy. But, you know, you can't just... To introduce a policy like that, and then say, "Oh, you yeah, know, like we didn't know it wasn't working." You've got to actually, um, you know, work hard on it. In summary, and I will go in a minute. Um, I, I, th- I think this particular incident, um, you know, is only written on the back of the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the broader football thing. You know, you know, I think this will blow over. But I think for you guys, the important thing is, you know, you have an opportunity out of this and and the other things that are going on to actually. Um, I think get uh, you know, as has been alluded to, get the uh, the end client, um, which might be the the, the, the the community. I mean, you know, people buy services, but you know, it's the community that's being protected. Get that end client to actually appreciate the value of security guards. I mean, they're not just there because, you know, the government brought in a um, you know licensing regime. The, the government brought it in for a reason, and and I think. Uh, two other things I think there's there needs to be some accountability we were very close to um, pursuing a, um, a situation where there was multiple subcontracting um, uh-huh. and we were interested in tying the uh, the head contractor to all of the accountabilities and, and i mean I just think this is I think there is no legal doubt whatsoever though I had a discussion with a senior person above me. I don't think there's any doubt at, at all that the person who holds the um, the um, contract with the ultimate client is absolutely accountable for the performance of um, uh, those security guards no matter how many times um, that service is subcontracted down from a major provider through to some Backyard. I mean, they can't say, "Oh, we didn't know." Um, you know, they got the contract. Uh, they, they need to be accountable. And the, mm-hmm. my final point is, I think it's great that um, you know they're, they're doing a review. But now, as a, uh, a member of the community, I can't believe that uh, eight hundred thousand dollars is going to get um, you know this industry anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, If you want to look at this industry. Um, you know, the problems that it's got, you've got to have to throw a lot more money at it than $800,000 and you need someone with some real clout um, to be running it because, again, you only got to read the papers, you know, you know, as a member of the community to see, you know, the areas where there are significant issues and it needs to be, you know, someone with um, great Legal experience, so that we don't have these, um, uh, what might you call them? I don't know, but bad legislation where people with good intent bring in legislation, and then people find loopholes around it. It needs to be black and white that regulate when there's some, you know, terrible behaviour in the industry. The regulator can come in and. Withdraw that licence, but also withdraw the um, the, the licences of um, uh, what the venues, etc. Around it, you know, because obviously the crowd crowd controllers and uh, the venue operators are often in codes. And yeah. Sorry, and one other thing is comes back to train to training too. Uh, and Tim, I think would well both would um, appreciate this. We, uh, you know, that that process of the regulator, and the training regulator, being able to, you know, to go in and do audits of trainers and and um, you know be able to you wield know, a heavy um, hand when appropriate. I mean, it, it's a big, it is a big decision to go into a trainer, do an audit, and um, and withdraw that trainer's license. when I mean, you you impact a lot of people. But, but at some stage, you need to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, some trainers um, just think it's all Mickey Mouse. You know, like, you know, they can't touch us. They, you know, we're going to have to do something really bad for a long time, and they'll never find out anyway, so we're right. Um, you know, you've got to provide those regulators, both in the security industry and the, tra- and the training industry, with the, re- the powers and the resources to be able to do their job. Um, right and we keep talking about this you know in in the whole community in a whole lot of areas we talk about oh you know that regulator is not doing their job right well you know i have no doubt that nearly every one of those regulators would say we are underfunded for the roles and responsibilities that we're given under the legislation that drives us it's as simple as that i mean try it i mean we're I can say the Victorian Security, the regulator, the Victorian Police makes no money, no money out of uh, the licensing. Go into, you know, it's all worked out on a fees basis. Yeah. Anytime time that uh, you know people try and push it and say, you know, if you want us to do this job, you need to do, we need a better computer system, or we need more resources, we need more investigative resources, or whatever. The the multiple levels of kickback you get um, to that. Is you know, disheartening.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess on that too, you know, uh, the, the thing that strikes me about this whole situation that's arisen over the last couple of days is that it's very easy to point the finger at the regulator and say there was a flaw there because, you know, these all of these false references came through. But 400 people, if that's the number that's been alleged, don't just happen to come across the same person who's allegedly providing references, if it is the one person doing it all. Someone has to be cluing people up. And so I don't think it's necessarily the regulator that we need to look at here, but maybe, and I'm this is just my opinion, you know, maybe we need to look at the security company. That most of those people were working for, or maybe we need to look elsewhere because there's got to be a common factor involved in this that allowed those people to say, "Oh, well, I can go to this bloke and he'll provide me with a reference." Obviously, the person providing the reference has done the wrong thing, but that does that doesn't happen by osmosis. That doesn't just magically occur. Dave, we will let you go.
2: I, I think that I think that's right, and um, you know, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't know who uh, did the training, but. It, have to ask the sun a similar question i think the investigation will find out some interesting things for you as an industry no. and uh yes yeah, thank you uh, thanks for the opportunity and good luck uh the three of you yeah, thank you day, enjoy protected. the rest of your day Bye. all right thank you
3: bye it, yeah so sorry peter go on yeah, dave's got a point there in relation to that in The regulator's got to find out what actually occurred and whether it has been from outside, inside, a combination. And we need to deal with it. We cannot tolerate the fraudulent conduct. Having 400 people have their licence removed, that will place pressure on certain sectors of the security industry because we do struggle to attract people. And that's been that circular argument that Mm. we attract people that can't do anything else. That's not necessarily so. We've got some fantastic people in the security industry. But at times we do struggle to find good people and the the return on their investment is not high. So they will look at opportunities to how to actually save costs. But how, what money these people may have been paying for these fraudulent documents or the alleged uh, conduct that they may have taken, it's going to be interesting to see what's happened. And if it has been fraudulent conduct, they should be treated in that manner, and regulators should deal with them accordingly. And let's clean that sector up if that's what's
0: required. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, Tim, because one of the allegations that was made in this uh, in this report in the Age yesterday was that, you know, alleged there allegedly there are people working in the industry on either student or overseas tourist visas, who allegedly lack the ability to communicate in English sufficiently, whether it be through written or spoken English. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of anecdotal evidence out there to support that, and I'm sure we could all exercise a fair stretch of confirmation bias and go, oh, yes, I've experienced that before as well. But from a training point of view, how is that possible? Aren't there tests in place to try and weed this sort of thing out?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an LRD requirement and also uh, an ASQ requirement where if someone's uh, attending a course, they need to do a, an LLN, learning, reading, writing, numeracy assessment. Uh, It's also a comprehension assessment. Uh, Once they've satisfied the assessor, then they can in turn enroll in the course. Um, We've put a lot of emphasis out there in the industry to employers to say, well, if you are interviewing someone and this person can't speak, can't fill out an application form, uh, and they've got a security license, then that needs to be reported to LRD. once LRD receives that information, they can in turn investigate the RTO and go through that process, which, which happens. Um, in the past, there's been a number of training organisations that have uh, sold certificates um, in different states and territories and so on around Australia, So, uh, and they've applied for licence under mutual recognition to get into Victoria. So there's been a lot of that type of behaviour that's gone on over the years. It really goes back to the employer, those interviewing the candidates, to say, well, they do meet the industry requirements. They are going to satisfy the client's requirements as far as uh, communication, conflict resolution, uh, understand their roles and responsibilities because uh, the employers are the ones that are going to be assessing them for the workplaces that they're going to be working in. So that feedback to the police, I think, is cr- cr- critical.
0: Yeah, everyone back in the day gave ASIL a lot of flack over the co-regulation model, saying this is just strong arming. You know, you, you, ASIL's trying to... Uh, or the government's trying to force us into dealing with ASIAL, but d- is this something that the co-regulation model was designed to deal with? Because if I, as a member of the security industry or as a member of ASIAL, come to you and say, hey, listen, I've gotten ten guards through from this security training organisation in the last six months and they can't speak English, you as an association, as I understand it, then had the ability to turn around and investigate and possibly remove their master licence. I mean, I don't know, it- enlighten me, how does this work? Well, today it
3: doesn't work uh, like that. The regulator, in relation to these matters, the industry has no power. The regulator has the responsibility and the authority. But a co-regulatory model brought that together where the industry and the regulator worked much closer in identifying weaknesses. To give you an example, ASIL have over many years reported certain organizations and some of them may have been Asian members that we couldn't deal with because we don't have the investigative authority and and we did not want to damage the investigations the formal investigations of regulators and governments but some matters that we've reported to regulators we have not seen an outcome until two years later Mm. so things do move slowly at times as David indicates, sometimes it's resources that are not available. But in this situation, who can train, what training organisations are allowed to train in certain jurisdictions are approved by the regulator as well. In other jurisdictions, just approved by ASQA. But going on to the training area, we will we have seen significant improvement in recent years on the N. And now with the review of the training package that's now approved, there is 14 common units, no, no electives, all core, 14 units of core units which have been reviewed for entry-level training for crowd control and unarmed guard. ASIL has recommended there's 130 auditable hours of training. That's the most ever in mm. any jurisdiction. Victoria has been conducting 128 hours of training over what has been 17 units of competency. Western Australia, 115 hours. New South Wales, 105. Any other jurisdiction, whatever the training organisation provided, because the certificate was taken on face value, where those other regulators, uh, they actually, the the policing regulators more so, place some hours on that training. But it's a... I used the word harmonisation before. We have got so many anomalies. We look at Tasmania. You don't even need anything to actually service or install electronic equipment. You can come out of jail today and be installing alarms tomorrow in Tasmania. Where's the probity? Where's the the harmonisation? Where's the commonality? Where's the consideration of public safety? The industry is hitting our heads with governments, and we've been... We work very well with them don't get me wrong but we hit heads to try to actually achieve a better outcome and i think there's a lot of opportunities and continuing opportunities but i think we just need to be more proactive the industry needs to and we have a reporting process where organizations are reported to asial can be reported to regulators but then when it gets into that regulatory regime do they have the resources even the fair work ombudsman will not investigate matters unless there is really a what they term as being a maybe a live body but there's actually relevance in the investigation because they don't have the resources either so it comes back to a combination of many things but great opportunity uh, as a result of this we can only improve as a broad industry who's yep. responsible not quite sure but if it's uh, if it's that many people the investigation should identify some root cause that is probably associated with an organisation individual taking advantage of of people in need and um, basically um, you know bastardizing a process that has been sound although we're not necessarily supportive of the students and the and the holiday worker but i think there's opportunities there and we need to be proactive with the regulators to uh, achieve a better outcome for the industry
0: Yeah, and I guess that's the important thing in sort of bringing this to a close. It's very easy in these situations to go, oh, the security industry's stuffed. Um, But this is an opportunity for us to do better, really, to acknowledge that there are flaws, to see where there are things that can be changed and then work towards what can be done differently. And not just individually, but as an industry. These are always opportunities as an industry to, you know, try and do better next time. And no industry's perfect, and I don't say that as a throwaway, but, you know, you have issues in... The medical industry you have issues in the uh, legal industry you have issues in the financial industry uh, you know so every every industry's got its bad apples and we've just got to look at this one and say okay well what have we learnt, and what can we do better what do we need to work towards out of this mm-hmm. Tim th- um, sorry th- go on yeah sorry um, yeah I, I just think this is a credit
1: to LRD as well for picking it up and, yeah. uh you know the, the changes that come out of this as you said John are gonna be you know f- for the better for the industry so yeah um, and
0: someone somewheres in a <coughs> boatload of poo. That's all that matters. Here. We hope so. Yeah. 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 Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time.
3: Tom, pleasure. Yeah, and thanks, Tom. Uh,
0: listeners, if you would like more of the Azial podcast, you can go to the Azial website, www.azial.com.au or you can find them on Spotify, or you can find them at Google or iTunes, uh, or the Security Solutions website. And we look forward to joining you again next time. Thanks for your time.